I could pull a rabbit out of my hat like nobody can. And honey, I was pulling rabbits out for nine (laughs) years. Hi, everyone. I'm Cami Chaos. And I am Rick Tarosi. And we, as you know, are mildly interesting people. Because of that, we work very hard to find very interesting people to talk with each week to keep you more entertained. Now, these folks may not be familiar to you, but rest assured, they're incredibly famous to us. Cami, who is our guest this week? This week, our guest is probably one of those folks that if you're tuning in, needs no introduction. She has had an amazing, varied career. She is an entrepreneur. She is a carer. She gives so much back to multiple communities. I would love to welcome onto the show, Dina Pirot. Hi. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here. You're a badass. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think you think, I think you're right. Um, I want to start with, I want to start with what I think most people will associate you with. And that's I urban team, um, because I want to get it out of the way because I know that you put so much of your heart and soul and so much of your time into it. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about where you want to go with it. What brought you to create this amazing program? Um, and then we'll move on to what, what else you're doing. How's that sound? That sounds great. And I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that question because I always like, I always like to talk about the why, you know, why I created this program. You know, first off, I'm the mother of two sons, two African-American sons. And I always tell people that mothers of African-American sons, you know, it's one of the hardest roles in life because, you know, no matter how much you coddle them, that, you know, society is waiting for them, you know. And so there's always this constant fear. You always have to deal with school issues, them being marginalized, disenfranchised, all those things that can happen, you know, to them. So reasons why I started iUrban Team, my sons, and then I was a commissioner in the state of Washington on the Governor's Commission on African-American Affairs. And all of our ethnic commissions were talking about the opportunity gap, especially for male youth of color who were being marginalized, dropping out of school, you know, um, incarcerated, all these things that can happen in our community. And so I'm not one, because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm not one to sit and do study after study after study. And they're still doing that there. And that was back in 2007. Um, I want to make action happen. Entrepreneurs try to fix something. They try to find a, a fix to a, an, an, an embedding problem. And so I immediately, at the time I was living in Vancouver, Washington, and so I immediately started looking in my own community to see how can I put a dent in this? What are some of the issues happening? I quickly learned that a lot of our black and brown families weren't aware of the Running Start program. The Running Start program is a program where youth can enter in high school, their junior year, they can go to community college and high school graduate with a high school diploma and an associate's degree. Great educational opportunity, but the high school counselors weren't telling our families about it. So hardly anyone knew. Hmm. So we get on the bandwagon. I'm trying to tell as many people as I can about this program. We try to get folks to help mentor the kids to get in the program, et cetera. Then I was asked to participate on a chief information officer council in Portland. And I told my friend, Mark, who has these councils across the country, 
I said, but Mark, I'm not a CIO. And he goes, I know you're not, but you're innovative and we need your voice. Hmm. I go, okay, cool. I'll go. I'll go. (laughs) So I went to the meeting and of course I was a little bit late. I had to do the diva entrance. (laughs) And so when I get there, I open the door and I notice I am the, I'm it for diversity. It was a room full of white men. And I went, wow, here I had like this big Afro, some hoop earrings and a leopard print blazer. So I really stood out. Okay. And so when I went in and I went to the front of the room and I did this on purpose because part of my diversity work is a lot of it is about empowerment, empowerment of women and people of color. I could have walked in and walked and sat in the back of the room, but I went, made a, a, a straight beeline to the front of the room and asked the men at this table to move over so I can put an extra chair here. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't ask them. I told them and they did. As soon as I sat down, I thought things started thinking. I said, okay, so over here, we have these youth that are marginalized, disenfranchised, no clear pathway or support for success. But in this room is where the opportunities are. So how can I bridge this divide? Six months later, I launched Teen with the help of some of those men in the room who are still connected to my program and still support us. And I knew from that very first one, I knew from that very first one that we had at Washington State University in Vancouver that we had to keep going. Yeah. Because for me, I create things the way I think. I'm eclectic. I'm the poster child for ADHD, right? So everything has to be fast paced. I know I got to grab them quickly. Mm-hmm. Hands on, fast paced, eclectic, cool, funky, all that stuff. And when I saw those kids, especially the boys that were in the audience that came there, and you can tell their mothers made them come because they're sitting there like, <laughs> I know that I want to be here. Uh uh-uh. uh. But when I saw that they started straightening up in their chairs, and started listening, you know, leaning in and listening, I knew I had them. Yeah. So we started, that's how we started back in October 2010, 2011 in Vancouver. And since then, it was a pure grassroots word of mouth buzz all the way down to Eugene, to Seattle. So families were coming to our events in Portland and Vancouver and then talking us into launching in Seattle. So hence our launch in Seattle in 2012. Mm-hmm. Now we're in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, Los Angeles. Um, mm-hmm. We launch in Sacramento. I launched here in Dallas a year ago, and it's going strong. We also launched in Houston, and next we'll be launching in Austin. Wow. So I thought you had four chapters, but you don't because I'm running out of room on my paper to write down the location. <laughs> I know. That's I'm fantastic. Too. I am too. Is amazing. You know, I just had to stop creating all these programs. <laughs> probably have the most STEM plus arts program than any other youth program that I know about. And so far we've worked with over 13,000 youth and we have about an 86% retention rate, meaning these families, because we're family focused, you might come to our event, you might see grandparents there with that child, you know, big brother, big sister, whatever. So we have about an 86% retention rate. So these families stay with us year after year after year, so much so that we have to create iUrban University which is for more for our alumni students who are now in college and several who have already graduated college and now working with some of our partner companies, companies like Intel, um, Microsoft, especially, you know, so I'm really excited about what, what we've been able to do, the impact that we've been able to make. So just so that we have a 
convenient place to tuck some links in. Can you share with us if you are looking and interested to support or mentor iUrbanTeen, or if you are looking to enroll yourself or a child in the program, what's the best way to do that? They can go straight to our website at iUrbanTeen.org. Uh, they can they can get on our newsletter. They can send an email that'll go directly to me. And we really look for volunteers also in the cities that we're in, especially volunteers who are in the tech spaces, you know, to help mentor our youth, to help volunteer to teach programs, you know, et cetera. So we always need that support because we really are understaffed. Everyone who does good work is understaffed, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yes. you know what? You know what? Not to, I'll tell you guys, we're warning you right now. I talk a lot. But um, <laughs> that's part of the reason we brought you on the show. You talk more, we talk less. It's fantastic for everyone. And so, you know, I was so honored to be um, honored by President Obama for this program back in 2013 as a White House champion of change for technology inclusion. But we still weren't funded. And that was one of the issues that I brought up in that meeting. It was seven of us from across the country being honored that day. And at the end of the day, they were asking, what are some of your challenges? And I said, mine is funding. I'm a woman of color with a program that's making an impact in the community, but I'm not funded. But yeah. I'm here for the long game. We're not leaving the communities that we serve. I could pull a rabbit out of my hat like nobody can. And honey, I was pulling rabbits out for nine <laughs> years. Yeah. We were not funded for nine years. It wasn't until Bobby Wagner of the Seahawks mm -hmm. learned about us. He was my neighbor in Seattle and I didn't even know who he was. But when I did find out, Man, poor Bobby. <laughs> when I did find out, you know, Bobby was not out, ready. You know, he said, I said, you know, that sounds, sounds like a great program. And I go, I think it is, but we're not funded. He goes, not, not now you aren't, but you will be. So the next month he named us as his nonprofit of choice for a Seahawks contest. And he told me, he goes, and watch, I'm going to win too. And I'm like, I know you will, Bobby. I just know you will. And he did. Yeah. Yep. So all that money came to us and that was the most money we had ever received. I didn't know what to do with it because we've been broke all those years. Yeah. But, but like I said, this is pure heart work. When I see these kids eyes light up because they're being exposed to something they've never had before. And they get an opportunity to see that these pathways can be for them as well. More importantly with the program, because of my other diversity and inclusion hat is just like how I, I talked to women and people of color about empowerment, I could have walked into that CIO room like a lamb and sat in the back of the room, but I walked in like a lion to the front. You know, I am here. I'm going to be engaged, you know, et cetera. That's what I tell our folks to do. But, you know, a reporter, a reporter asked one of our students who is now working in cybersecurity for a, for a cybersecurity company, graduated from University of Washington, and he went into cybersecurity because of some of the sessions he's gone through with us when he was in middle school. And so she called me and told me how impressed she was with him. She said, but at the end, he told me something that I just had to smile. He told her, not only, uh, not only does Miss Dina teach us these things, she also teaches us how to be in, in a room where no one else looks like us and still be confident. That's the key. It's that self-empowerment piece. You know, yeah. you don't have to be, you can more than likely be the only person of color in that room, but how are you empowering yourself to engage, be present and not be fearful of having your voice heard? How do you 
articulate that for the kids that you're that you're mentoring? How do you? It, it's hard to walk into a room and be the only. Um, oh, even for adults. Even yeah. when I talk to adults, I do a lot of keynotes and other workshops, and I always ask grown folk, "Do you self advocate for yourself when you're in the workplace and something happens?" And everybody is so afraid to do it. Yeah. They'll suffer in silence. Yeah. And especially with folks of color, when they are usually the only one in the workplace, they don't want to stand out. So they'll just absorb it in. That's why so many of folks in my community have heart disease, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. all of these health ailments, dying early because they're suppressing it. They're afraid mm-hmm. to say you know, and I, so I, I role model what to say and how to do it. So even with the youth, I teach them about self-advocation. How do you advocate for yourself? If you see this happening on your internship or at school, how do you have that intellectual conversation with that person, right? I'll role model an example. Cammie, you and I work together. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do, girl. <laughs> and And then you start ignoring me at work. You're my supervisor. You start ignoring me, treating others differently. Yep. And, and all, and I'm noticing this. So I come to you and I I say, you know, Cammie, is it okay if we have just a short conversation? Can I set up a meeting with us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I set up that meeting and I go, you know, Cammie, I've been noticing some things that have been happening. And I know it's probably not your intent. See, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I know it's probably not your intent, but it feels like a microaggression. How can we bridge this? How can we bridge this communication divide and have a stronger working relationship? See, I'm, I'm problem solving. I'm saying this is what I felt. You can either get angry and deny it, mm-hmm. but the way I came at you, it's not, you're not, I'm not pushing you up against the corner. No. Right. I'm mm-hmm. having this intellectual conversation with you. You are. You are <laughs> informing me mm-hmm. that something that is within my control. Yeah. Is causing I'm you, you to, the feel. Option to work with yeah. me on how do we how do we come to a resolution with this? this so that problem anymore. Yeah. This is a problem for us. Not a problem. Yeah. You you were mm-hmm. being you. You brought the other person in. You made it friendly. Mm-hmm. You, is that exhausting for you? Well, you know, I. I do this for adults and I do it for our youth. Our youth are so smart and brilliant. You know, we don't give them enough credit for the the worldly experience that they already know. You know, Um, I'm, I'm always just kind of blown away at some of the, some of the questions they're able to answer and how they can actually open up. And I love to see our boys, especially our boys of color, being able to be vulnerable to talk about certain issues that are happening in their world and allowing us to have this dialogue to help them go through it. And when you're empowering, especially when you're empowering youth uh, to have this confidence and this ability to communicate what they need to see, you Mm -hmm. are, I wish that people had taught anyone in my age group this when we were kids. It was all, no, be quiet, respect authority, don't don't attract attention to yourself just um, exactly and and what you're teaching the kids now they're going to go out and they're going to imprint that upon everyone else that they're working with and Mm -hmm. that's they're going to model good behavior and you're 
giving this? Can we can we just focus on that part? This isn't what she does for a living. This isn't what she does to make herself comfortable or safe in the world. This is what she does to bring other people up into the world and to help everyone live in a, it's not going to be an equitable place, but a more equitable, more inclusive place. So this is, this is what you do to support other people. I know that you'd like to talk a little bit about what you do to support yourself, which is also incredibly altruistic, but talk to me about Mosaic. Well, you know, Mosaic Netier is my for-profit business that, you know, it's diversity recruiting, diversity consulting, um, diversity executive search, all of those things. That is what I was doing, putting all my time in before I started iUrban Teen. And then when I started iUrban Teen, it's just like, whoo, you know, it put me <laughs> yeah. into this vortex and I keep forgetting about Mosaic. So every now and then I'll just do some sprinkles over there. But I really got to want to get back into it because having these conversations around empowerment, you know, around helping helping organizations and people understand those pieces of advocacy. I've, I've worked with so many companies over the years, and it seems like you just kind of recycle the same information over and over again. You don't see much difference in, you know, in society on this work, no matter how cutting edge, because I try to be different. I try to be cutting edge different with this equity stuff, but it's still like we go back to square one. Look at what's happening in Florida. Look at what's happening, you know, across the country. The banning of the books, um, the the affirmative action, you know, stance by the by the Supreme Court, and now the VC organization that pushed that whole action by the Supreme Court is trying to sue Fearless Fund, which is a fund to help Black women business owners because they said they're being discriminatory. So it's like I'm going, you know, this is like we're going back to the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something. It's crazy. We don't know where this is going to go. It's kind of scary times right now. Right. But the most the so I prefer for me. I really enjoy talking to people, having open conversations around this work, and really empowering people of color to understand their strengths. I can't fathom walking through this life feeling like a minority, feeling like I'm something lesser than, feeling like I don't have a voice. I've never been one to not have a voice. And so I have been marginalized for that. Years ago, I moved up from Compton to Portland, and that was a huge culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge culture shock. (laughs) Yeah. And I noticed the lay of the land and how marginalized my community was and how complacent my community was. And so I wasn't going to stand for it. In fact, I created a lot of different diversity equity initiatives at the city of Portland when I was there and um, scared a whole lot of people. But to this day now, I'm viewed as doing great work. But at the time, I was really super marginalized. And I tell anyone, when you do this work, when you're trying to do the right thing, you cannot be afraid of being the Lone Ranger. Yeah. You cannot be afraid of being marginalized. I never had that problem because I can stand alone. It doesn't matter to me. But what I believe is in fairness. I don't care who you are. You could be white and I could see you being marginalized and just 
disenfranchised, I'm going to help you, you know, but more so important I saw was people of color. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I would, at the city, I had a lot of different initiatives, like I was saying, and I worked for a, a director of a large bureau. Well, what happened over time, a lot of the people of color would come to me and ask and cow down and ask, Dina, can you ask my boss if I can go to your, your program? I'd have diversity things, right? And I'm going, no, you can ask them. And this is what you say. They still yeah. wouldn't ask. So I would end up calling their director and say, okay, we're having this thing. Your folks need to come, you know, and so and so and so. So that really bothered me. So that's where mm-hmm. that whole learning how to advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. not being afraid to have your voice heard, and especially working with our youth, because I can't see another generation of black and brown folks walking through life in second self, as I call it. Some call it code switching. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have a diversity and equity program called code switching or soul switching. How much of your soul are you going to give away to try to fit in that box? Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I have another five-part equity series that's live, interactive with the audience and a live uh, diverse panel. Well, I hope they're alive, not dead. <laughs> they won't be very useful if they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I created these series like 20 years ago. It is still relevant mm-hmm. today. That's why I'm going, nothing is changing, you yeah. know. It, it hasn't. And and for folks not familiar with Portland, I will just say it is the whitest city in America that I have ever been to. Um, and there is a lack of understanding of what of of privilege in our society there are people who just don't understand the level of privilege that they hold in this society and they're like no it's there it's oregon we voted for the, the democrats we're fine everything no no one's racist it is it's a bit it, it is well, it really what, is what i yeah. found in portland there's a lot of great new initiatives that were coming out of portland you know by the white community who claim to be so liberal. Mm-hmm. But if I come to you, Cammie, I'm going to have to use you again. Sorry, girl. It's okay. But <laughs> I, 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 I can take that. your liberal hat on and I start seeming like I know more than you. Oh, no. If I'm going to follow what you think I should follow, then you're going to get an attitude, right? But I'm right. You see, I'm always right. right. See? Because yeah. I know. <laughs> and then you might start crying. You might start, start crying those white girl tears, right? The white girl mm-hmm. tears are poison, man. They are poison. Let me get it. Yeah, yeah, don't cry, girl. Don't start that. Don't, I can't don't get them. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, and it's a way to get sympathy, you know? Mm-hmm. And usually when they start doing that and white men are like, oh, oh, Cammie, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You okay? Dina, what did you do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was just being real, you know. Dina was mean to me. Oh, girl. I was in, I worked in different HR areas. And so many times I would have, and here I'm a black woman, I would have white women come to me crying, talking about a black woman that scared them. She was, she was rude to me. She scared me. She said, I'm going, I'm looking, going, really? What did she say? <laughs> and it was something so stupid. I'm going, oh my gosh. I said, I'm going to have to have an an equity conversation right now. Oh, it happened over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing about the the whole white liberalism. 
when black folks or brown folks, when we come saying, no, this is what we want to have happen, then there's this pushback. Like what? My white voice isn't needed right now. You know? So I told you guys I don't have any filters. So you don't need a filter. <laughs> white folks, we have caused problems. Yeah. But not all. I have <laughs> got some good white friends. No. <laughs> there are good white people occasionally. No, there there really are. I am uh, in fact I was gonna have a new word for because you know how they call they call Karen's Karen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to call the ones, the white women that really are woke, Betty, right? Oh, that's good. We got some Bettys. Like that whole (laughs) thing that happened in Alabama with the the Riverwalk fight brawl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just watching on the news. It was a Betty who filmed the first part and they had her on the news. And she said, I I filmed it because I want to make sure that everybody knew who started this. Nice. nice. It was Good it was job, white Betty. men that punched him out, and I'm yeah. going, oh, you go, Betty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you go. So there are there's some very the success of my program. There's so many white folk, especially white men, that help open the door of opportunity for iUrban Team mm-hmm. because they were smart enough to listen to you mm-hmm. and to others who have actually had lived experience that will show you what people need, what folks oh, yeah. need. Rather than just trying the same things that we've tried and failed at for years and you years. Know, and years. I, the, the CEO of Realware, the uh, company there in Vancouver, mm-hmm. I was so proud of him because after George Floyd's murder, and you see how all these companies were throwing these testimonies out the next day, they didn't even know what it meant. They were just throwing stuff out for photo ops. He didn't. He waited. He thought about it. He reached out to me about it. And he said he wanted me to help him with his company spread information about this and how, what can we do as an organization on a, as a whole to make sure that we are being inclusive, we are being equitable, you know, and that we're responding in the right ways. He was being yeah. genuine about what he wanted to have happen. And I liked that. And I worked with him. If I thought that he just wanted some type of photo op thing, I wouldn't have worked with him. Yeah. You know, so there are a lot of of people who are trying to do the right thing. You know, there are some true partners in crime, as I want to call them, that are out there fighting the good fight. And I applaud them. And they're everywhere. I want to feel that there's more of them than not. In my perfect Polyisha world, I want to feel (laughs) that there are more. Polyisha is the black version of Pollyanna. Okay. Nice. Nice. Like it. It's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Dina, I it, just listening to you describe the work makes me tired with how much emotional labor is there and how much strength you need to be doing this. Could you do us a favor and just take us back to when Dina is the age of urban teen ish youth like what what are your motivations who's your inspiration like do you have mentorship that has guided you along this journey like what's a young dina experiencing and what creates the drive to do this work throughout her life well you know i think for me the drive was being excluded 
you know, I was never the kid that was invited to be on the basketball team or any team. I was invisible. So I felt that inclusion. I also felt growing up in, in school, having all white teachers, I never had a Spanish teacher. I never had, you know, our Latino teacher. I've never had an African-American teacher. It's all been white. And so mm-hmm. I've been invisible in those classrooms. And so, um, but yet and still knowing what exclusion felt like, I was always that little kid on the playground that tried to make sure all those other quiet kids were included in something. So I was that bridge builder ever since mm-hmm. I was little. And when I was a teenager, I continued that whole sense of fairness to see who's being left behind, you know, whose voice is not being heard. You know, once I did start getting like more friends and all that, and I was kind of popular, I used that to help others. That's what I've always done, but I've mm-hmm. never had a mentor. I wish I did because I would have been probably a lot further along in this career chain of this whole entrepreneurialism and all of that, if I would have had a mentor, if I would have known to ask for a mentor, and how do I work with a mentor? We, of course, now teach that to our kids about mentorship, trying to find those mentors for these students and the impact of of what having a good mentor looks like. So I think for me, I think it's just ingrained in me. My mother always said when we were little, because I always say I have the business sense of my father who was always doing something. He had all kinds of side. He was an officer in the Navy, but he had all these side gigs he was doing. You're always busy. My mother was quiet and introverted and shy, but she had a heart that would give and give. She would always tell us when you're on your deathbed, it's not going to matter what material possessions you have. What's going to matter most is what you've done to help others. So that was ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. All along, and that's what I always look for. Um, as far as doing the diversity equity work, I know what it feels like to be discriminated against. You know, from my experiences early on in Portland in the early nineties, mm-hmm. I knew what that felt like, and it didn't feel good. And mm-hmm. I was going to do whatever I could to ha- try to help prevent that from help happening to others, or at least make them aware of what this is. Because a lot of times, especially in the Pacific Northwest, is that subtle racism. That thing that you go, is that what I think it is? I'm not quite sure. You know, so you're always in this abyss of, is it real? Or am I just imagining this? But after so long, every slight like that feels like a dagger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah it's microaggressions. Over time, folks, they build up. So one microaggression, not a big deal. A lifetime of microaggressions can be devastating. Yeah. yeah. You know, Absolutely. it can be devastating for folks. How do you keep up that? That's a lot of, Rick mentioned the emotional labor. You, that's all you're doing. You're just constant emotional labor. Like every moment that you're putting into both I urban team and mosaic. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep your chin up? Well, you know, it's hard. It's really hard, you know, especially when I see some of our kids in the program that have been marginalized, so heavily marginalized, and you can feel the weight that they're carrying. And it's like, what can you do to help them? And you know, you really can't cure it all, right? And you know that you can't solve everything. So for me, I'm really trying to practice self-care 
because I have to wind this down because for me, it's a constant. I usually work about, oh God, about 160 hours a week, seven days a week. There's no downtime. I don't know how to slow down and that's a problem. So I feel like I've turned into a machine in a way. You know, I am at at this age trying to find out on this path to finding Dina again, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. knowing that it's okay if I don't get to this today, it's okay. It'll be there. I can see it and do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Trying to get that kind of mindset in. So I'm really trying to discover me at this age um, and fun things. Someone asked me a couple of years ago, what do you do for fun? And I couldn't answer it. I couldn't answer it. That's a stressful question. It really is. I'm going, (laughs) fun? I'm like, what is that? How do you spell it? (laughs) But Um, I am trying. I I am going to be very intentional with trying to slow some of this down and trying to enjoy the life that I have left. Good. You deserve that. Seeing someone who's having a nervous breakdown and like trying to do the self-care and stuff. It's, it's super important and, and you deserve every moment of it. So please keep on keeping on with that. Oh, I am. I'm try. Good. Rick, before we move on to the questions. Yes. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? Yeah, there is. There was one tangent I wanted to take that we haven't had a chance to touch on and, and to provide some context, like the last time, uh, Dina and I were like, working closely in the same proximity i can remember it was the before times um and there was a before covid people before the yeah like i don't know however many (laughs) years ago that was like three or four years ago and um dina had put together this amazing panel of black women leaders in technology who were talking about this strange concept that nobody seemed to be talking much about at the time, which was AI. Oh. And, and that was like, and now it's all the rage, but that was like pretty leading edge at that point in time, which, which all leads up to my question of Dina, you live in the future. You work with the future. Like, from a technology standpoint, like what are you see? What should we be paying attention to? Like, what should we be excited about? What are you What are you seeing the iUrban teen youth get excited about? Like, what What's the What's the future of tech look like to you? Well, the future, as we all know, is AI. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's scary for some, but there's a lot of opportunities as well. I feel that there needs to be some boundaries set in the whole AI space, because it can get, we don't know what that's going to look like five years from now, even a year from now, Yeah, you know, if in the wrong hands. Um, but what I, what we're doing right now is shaping programs around AI for our youth to understand and have that skill set. Um, we are creating a new gaming program where we're going to interweave AI, you know, we work with Microsoft with inter, interweaving the AI aspect into the video game production pieces of it. So that's where the future is going. Um, and even with, since we did that AI session, that was at, that was at in downtown at Puppet Labs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was, gosh, you're right. That was about eight years ago. It seems like about seven <laughs> or eight years ago. Yeah. It was a while a long ago. time ago that yeah. we had that. And, um, very in, intense conversation. And you already know we're going to have, 
The other role that I have, I'm the founding, one of the founding members for Black Women in STEM 2.0. And mm-hmm. so we have annual conferences and uh, in Seattle. So we're going to have the next one in September. Uh, one of the spaces that I'm in also is space. And so we have a new program in Ironteen called iSpace. It's all about the careers and opportunities in this new frontier. So we partner mm-hmm. with Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and NASA. So on my panel that I'm going to do at the summit and on October 20th is have a panel of of Black women from those organizations talking about different opportunities in space. So this will be really interesting. That's awesome. That is very cool. Um, Kimmy, I know you're already chomping at the bit to get into the questions. Would you like to move over to the that? Questions. Is the this questions the questions fire stuff? <laughs> it is. Yes. This is the, the lightning round of questions. So <laughs> it's going to be okay. You can answer it at whatever pace you would like to. If you are flustered by a question, you can skip it and we'll come back to it. And when it's all said and done, Rick will edit it and make it look like you answered like this. Did like this, huh? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Fast. I'm so ready. <laughs> before we start, I'm going to roll this die. And we have the number 16. Hmm. Yeah. So let me just grab that question so I have it. Oh, that's a good question. It's a very good question. Okay, Dina, here we go. Question number one. What one habit would you like to pick up over the next year? That's self-care. Yes. (laughs) See? Easy. Easy. Uh, Would you like to know a lot about one thing or a little bit about a lot of things? I'm going to say a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah. What do you need from the grocery store? I need some Lucky Charms cereal. <laughs> Lucky Charms. <laughs> Would you like to survive the zombie apocalypse? No. Mm-mm. Nope. And question number 16, question number five for you. What's your favorite Muppet? My favorite Muppet? Yeah, your favorite Muppet. Who's your yes, favorite please. Muppet? Nice. Well, only because I got a turn up nose. And and, and and when we were teenagers, I had a friend say, you look like Miss Piggy. Well, you do not look like Miss Piggy to me, but you do have that pig sass. <laughs> she got that thing going on like Miss Piggy. She was a charmer. She was a charmer. <laughs> Talked to Kermit about that one. <laughs> Okay, this was an absolutely lovely experience. I want to ask you to please share how they can reach out to you uh, to employ you as Mosaic for DEI work. So where can we go to find Mosaic? It's easy. It's mosaicmetier.com. And that is, I, I love that site. It's actually a job advertising site where companies there in Oregon post for jobs that they're looking for diverse talent. But Mm -hmm. under that umbrella, I also do my keynotes, my workshops, and my executive search uh, practices. Awesome. Well, Dina, thank you so much for joining us. Rick, would you like to wrap up the show? Absolutely. Uh, Dina, as you know, I've been a huge fan for a long, long time. It's always great to get the chance to to spend time with you. I don't... um, I don't know how you do it. And, and I have so much respect for the work that you do and, and know how much 
impact you are having, not only with the future of the youth where you have programming, but just the future of youth in general, because I know those kids are going to impact other kids and the people they go to college with. And, and you have, you have a ripple effect in our community and we just owe you a debt of gratitude for the work that you do. So thank you for doing everything you do. That means so much. Thank Thank you you so much. And I tell anyone, whoever wants to jump on the bag wagon and help me build this yellow brick road for these kids, come to our website, sign up, volunteer. And I'll make sure and link all of those up. But, um, you know, we'll always, anytime you want to come chat, Dina, there's always a mic. We'd love to have you back. Love to hear what's going on. As we get closer to um, your Black Women in STEM event, if you want to come back and and talk about what's going on with that, that would be great. Um, But just, again, like, keep doing what you do, and I will keep being a fan and a champion and sharing everything that I can. Uh, just uh, really, really appreciate you. So thank, thank you so you. much. And I'm a big, big fan of yours too, Rick. So the feeling is mutual. <laughs> Good. Mutual, mutual, mutual admiration, admiration society. society. Yeah. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to have to edit those, those questions at all. Like Mm-mm. you were faster than like 99% of our guests on the, on the question. So you're good. Even with my lucky charms, huh? <laughs> yeah. Man, the lucky charms is That's the best answer. answer. Oh, girl, I yeah. love, I love those. And I, they're magically delicious. You know, and I got my DNA, ancestry DNA. There's a whole bunch of Irish. And I think that's probably why I'm proud of lucky charms. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. Lucky charms, potatoes, things like that. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a, it was an absolute pleasure to have you and as rick said you're welcome back anytime it was a delight talking to you um and now we're going to say goodbye to the rest of you goodbye thanks dina